Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayhold Bowles LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi there, I'm Marcus Rotterdam. I'm the director of research here at Glayhold Bowles, and I'm here today with uh, Pavle Levkovic, an associate with the firm. We'll be talking today about the Canadian Construction Documents Committee's new stipulated price contract, the new CCDC 2 2020, which was just released in December. Now, this was the first major amendment to the CCDC since 2008. So to get us started, maybe we can talk a little bit about what was the major driver behind the new version and why was it released right now? So the main reason for the new document was to bring it into line with the prompt payment and adjudication provisions in the new Construction Act in Ontario. Now, apart from that, the CCDC was also reacting to what was pretty widely seen as a misalignment, and that's between the former contract and what's, you know, the reality of the owner's requirements for the projects we're talking about. Now, in the new CCDC2, there are also provisions for early occupancy by the owner, and we'll be talking about those in just a little while. There's also clarifications about what costs are recoverable when you perform work under a change directive, and there's also changes to insurance provisions and new indemnity and waiver of claims provisions. But for timing, I think the most pressing reason for the new document was no doubt the changes to the Ontario Construction Act. So before we get into that whole prompt payment business that you uh, alluded to, what kind of misalignment between the contract and the owner's needs are we actually talking about here? So the misalignment was between the concept of substantial performance and the owner's actual requirements for using the project. In other words, owners had been concerned that substantial performance triggered things like warranty periods. And that was when they still had, you know, lack documents like the operations manuals, if they didn't have these, they couldn't operate a plant, for example. So the new CCDC2 introduces a ready-for-takeover milestone, which clarifies that all documents necessary for operation must be handed over before ready-for-takeover is achieved. So that new ready-for-takeover milestone is going to become the trigger for things like delay claims, indemnity, warranty, and waiver. And I assume then that the new contract also defines or sets out when that milestone is achieved? Yes, it does. So not to get too technical, but General Condition 12.1.1 sets out the prerequisites for achieving ready for takeover. So these are limited to eight things. For example, the consultant has to certify or verify the substantial performance of the work. Another prerequisite is, for example, evidence of compliance with the requirements for occupancy or an occupancy permit as prescribed by the authorities having jurisdiction. Now, I won't go through all the eight things, but if you take a look at the new CCDC2, right, in that section, you'll be able to see that these are pretty fairly well specified so that anyone who's reading it knows when you're going to hit that milestone. Now. GC 12.1 also clarifies that ready for takeover will not be delayed for reasons beyond the contractor's control. So the contractor has to deliver a comprehensive list of items to be completed or corrected to the consultant and to the owner, together with a written application for ready for takeover for their review. When that's delivered, the consultant 
in turn has 10 days to decide whether the work is ready for takeover or not. And then the contractor and consultant will establish a date for final completion. So there's quite a few things that need to happen. So if quite a few things need to happen, that sounds like a lot more work for contractors, doesn't it? Well, no, not really. You see, contractors have always had to deliver those things. It simply moves the dates for the achievement of the contract milestones. Right, that, may, that makes sense. Um, but I assume then it's it's definitely going to be more work for consultants because they will now have to do one more thing, right? They have to both certify substantial completion and then confirm that the ready-for-takeover milestone has been achieved. So it's definitely, or yeah, it's, it's one more step for them at least, right? Yeah, that's true. It will be more work for consultants. Before I forget, I also want to mention that the new milestone replaces substantial performance as a trigger for many things. So that's pretty important to keep in mind. One thing that is very important is that the new ready for takeover milestone, however, will not replace substantial performance as a trigger for release of holdback. So substantial performance will still play a very important role in any given project, and you should look carefully into those specific provisions dealing with triggers. So let's talk about the substantial performance as a trigger for holdback release a bit. So under the new contract, the consultant now has 20 calendar days from the contractor's application to determine if substantial performance actually has been achieved or not. Now then the contract provides for a few the contract then provides for a few other points where the holdback has not been placed in a separate holdback lien account. The owner has 10 calendar days before the expiry of the holdback period stipulated in the act to place that holdback amount in a bank account in the joint names of the owner and the contract. So that's an entirely new thing. Subject to prompt payment requirements, all those holdback amounts prescribed by the act for the work become due and payable to the contractor no later than 10 working days following the holdback period stipulated in the act. And that obviously reflects the change in the Construction Act from a permissive release of holdback to a mandatory release of holdback. Also to reflect the changes in Ontario, the contract now provides for a phased release of holdbacks. That's an entirely new thing in the Construction Act, and therefore the CCDC may changes reflecting that. So I think that was a brief overview of the first major change in the new CCDC. You mentioned in your intro that there were new provisions also for early occupancy by the owner. Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. So early occupancy. The new CCDC2 allows the owner to take early occupancy of the work if the contractor agrees and the authorities approve. Now, if the owner takes occupancy of a part of the work before ready for takeover has been attained, that part of the work which is occupied is now deemed to have been taken over by the owner as from the date on which it is occupied. So what does this mean? Well, the contractor is then no longer liable for the care of that part as from that date. Finally, the warranty period for that part of the work starts from the date on which it is occupied. The main reason for the referral you mentioned at the very outset is prompt payment. So that's presumably one of the main triggers for the whole thing. Now, what has CCD done to address that? So the new changes have introduced a payment application. So this pretty closely corresponds to the quote-unquote proper invoice under the Act. So 
In GC 5.3.1, so general condition 5.3.1, the consultant has 10 days after the payment application to make a decision. And this provides for a buffer of another four days to meet the 14-day period under section 6.4 sub 2 of the Act. So basically, there's a new buffer that's been added. I'm sorry, can, can you explain that buffer piece a bit more? Okay, so under section 6.4 of the Act, an owner who disputes a proper invoice has 14 days after receiving the invoice to give the contractor a notice of non-payment. GC 5.3.1 gives the consultant 10 days to figure out entitlement to payment. So basically, that leaves another four days for the owner and consultant to together prepare a notice of non-payment if they want to go that way. See, that makes sense. So is that it for prompt payment and adjudication-related changes in the CCDC, or is there more? No, those aren't all the different changes. So, for example, GC 8.2 provides that nothing in the contract is deemed to affect the party's rights to resolve disputes by way of adjudication. So it's basically reinforcing the new adjudication regime. Another change is Article A5, which says that the owner's payment obligations are subject to prompt payment legislation, and the applications for payment have to be submitted to the owner and the consultant simultaneously, and have to be based on the schedule of values that complies with the payment legislation. Now, if the consultant certifies a different amount or nothing at all, the owner has to issue a written notice to the contractor giving reasons. And of course, under the Act, certification is not a prerequisite for a payment obligation. Can you talk about the certification that can be mandated in a contract not being a prerequisite to um, payment? Like that might be confusing to some people. So you can insist on a certificate of payment, but that can't be a prerequisite. Can you explain a bit how that works? Yeah, exactly. So you can't put in a contractual requirement for a payment certificate in order to circumvent or get around the prompt payment timelines. Basically, you can't make the certificate a condition precedent. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think that's clear. Thank you. Okay, great. So going back to the changes, there's a few more. So part five of the contract now clarifies that progress payments, the release of holdback, and the final payment will all be subject to prompt payment legislation. So we just talked about you know, a whole bunch of changes resulting from the new CCDC 2. Now, the CCDC 2 is obviously not limited to use in Ontario. So, you know, what about the other provinces? What are they doing? Yeah, Ontario is obviously not the only one to contemplate prompt payment and adjudication. I mean, it's the first one to have actually pushed through the legislation and the first province in which those two concepts are now in place. But throughout the country, numerous jurisdictions are following the Ontario lead. So in 2019, for example, in BC, Bill M223 was introduced. That provides for prompt payment regime based loosely on the Ontario Construction Act. In Alberta, there's Bill 37, it's the Builders Lean Prompt Payment Amendment Act that received royal assent on December 9, 2020. And even though it hasn't been proclaimed, it is expected to be proclaimed somewhere in July of this year. There's similar initiatives underway in Manitoba and New Brunswick. Nova Scotia has introduced a prompt payment and adjudication regime in Bill 119. That's gone through all the readings and received royal assent in less than a month, actually. So that was even quicker than Ontario. It received royal assent on April 12, 2019. 
also hasn't been proclaimed yet, but expected to be proclaimed soon. Saskatchewan has something similar. In 2018, they introduced Bill 152. That act received royal assent on May 15, 2019. Enforced date, again, has not yet been announced. In August of 2020, they filed regulations under the act. They also not yet in effect, but they fully drafted. So yes, it's throughout the country. CCDC2 changes will therefore not only be useful in Ontario, but throughout all of these jurisdictions. Now, the timelines for payment under those acts in the different provinces might very well differ from those in Ontario, but that's then something that can easily be addressed by way of supplementary conditions or some such thing. So yes, it's definitely not an Ontario-centric change. It's obviously modeled on the Ontario changes because they are the first ones to be in effect, but it's definitely not limited in its usefulness to Ontario. Why don't we quickly talk to wrap this up about the remaining areas of change. You mentioned change directives. Yeah, that's right. So change directives, another thing that's changed. And, you know, not to confuse everyone, but there is a new general condition, 6.3.7, and it clarifies what costs are recoverable when you're performing work attributable to a change directive. The new CCDC2 says that these costs are now limited, but it sets out a long list of items, including, you know, labor, products, equipment, subcontracts. And it says that you can recover for those actual costs. However, they have to contribute directly to the implementation of the change directive. There's another change, too, related to insurance provisions. And I talked about this right at the beginning. In terms of insurance, GC11 and CCDC41, these are the provisions which deal with insurance. And they were changed to refer to the new ready-for-takeover date. The limits for general liability insurance and automobile and aircraft, they were increased from $5 million to 10 million per occurrence. This is to recognize, you know, new commercial realities. And interestingly, there's a new insurance requirement for drones. And there's also a contractor's pollution liability, and that has a $5 million limit. So and then finally, I think we need to talk about the last major change, and those were the changes to the indemnification and the waiver provisions. Both of those were changed to have ready for takeover as the trigger date. So again, many of these changes are related to that fundamental change of the new milestone that they introduced. Now under GC 13.1, neither party is liable to the other for indirect, consequential, punitive or exemplary damages. So that is now set out. And then finally, and this is more of a housekeeping change, but you might be interested in knowing that that change was made in case you're looking for these provisions. A number of the provisions that used to be found in CCDC2 were now moved from the body of CCDC2 into Division 1 document. Now, again, that's more of a housekeeping change. But just so you know where to find them, if you're looking for them, the provisions that were moved are the definitions of provide, and then GC 3.9 relating to documents at the side, part of 3.10 relating to shop drawings, GC 3.11, which relates to the use of the work, part of 3.12 about cutting and remedial work, and then parts of 3.13 and 11.2 dealing with uh, both cleanup the site and contract security. So those provisions you will no longer find in the body of CCDC2, you will now find those 
in Division One. So I think that is pretty much it for a short overview of the changes to the 2020 documents. So is this all in force yet, or when does it come into force? Well, Marcus, the answer is a little bit here and there. It depends. So what's going to happen is that from December 2020 to December 2021, the parties can choose between the old and the new versions. And the idea is that during the, this time, people can get familiar with the new changes and really understand what they're all about. Now, as of December 2021, CCDC will no longer support the old version. So what this means is that they won't be issuing those stickers that validate the copy of the contract. So basically, you won't be able to get the stickers for the old versions anymore, which means that you really should be using the new versions. However, if you do enter into the old version of a CCDC2, you know, between now and December 2021, it's really important to keep in mind that, you know, the new changes won't automatically be imported into the old version. So it's not like on December 31st, 2021, a switch is going to flip and the new version will apply. In fact, the old version will, will continue to apply if that's the contract that you've signed. So there's a transition period and, uh, you know, it depends a little bit, but uh, just make sure you, you know which version you're under. And if you're going to use the new version, that's not a bad idea. And after December 2021, you'll be able to get the sticker support on like for the old one. I think that's clear. Thank you. Okay. So those are all the changes in the new CCDC2. But before we go, I also want to note that the CCDC working groups are currently working on amending other contracts. So these are the construction management documents, the CCDC 5A and 5Bs. They're also working on amending the design build contract, the CCDC 14. And that's basically to reflect all the changes made to CCDC 2. So they want to align everything. So those contracts and also the CCDC 2 MA, so that's the master agreement between owner and contractor. These are all expected to be released, you know, probably sometime later this year or early next year. So that was a brief look at the new CCDC2. We hope that you found it useful. If you have any more questions or you want any more information or to get a written summary of all the different changes, feel free to have a look at our website, delayhold.com, or check out our winter 2021 newsletter. And that's also on our website. A big thank you for me and for Marcus. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.